0: Did you know that you can be a critically thinking, rational person and be a Christian? Did you know that there's good evidence that Christianity is true? Did you know that the Christian faith can withstand the toughest of scrutiny? Welcome to the Cerebral Faith Podcast, where we believe because of the brains God gave us and not in spite of them. I'm your host, Evan Minton. Welcome to the Cerebral Faith Podcast, where we use the brains that God gave us Um, if you haven't seen it last week, I hosted a debate between Chris date of the apologetics and rethinking hell and Caleb Jackson, who, um, is a friend of mine. And he wrote a couple of books, one on the resurrection and one on the problem of evil and, uh, Chris date and uh, Caleb Jackson debated, uh, nature of hell whether it's annihilationism or universalism and it's up here it's last week's podcast episode and it's also up on the cerebral faith youtube channel so if you haven't seen it yet go uh, do that um, whenever you get done listening to this or sometime in the future Uh, today i have michael jones of inspiring philosophy on Um, you probably know who he is Uh, he is the uh, he's Michael Jones is the guy behind the YouTube channel Inspiring Philosophy, where he makes all sorts of uh, videos on different apologetics and theological issues. Um, He's made um, videos on the primeval history, Genesis one to eleven. He's made arguments on the the moral argument, the ontological argument. He's he's done a few videos on the the digital physics argument for God's existence. and he recently uploaded a video on the Book of Jasher, so he's just got a whole bunch of different content up there. Uh, just in case you don't know who he is, uh, you should go check him out because his channel is really really awesome. But today we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at a blog post uh, on the Preposterous Universe and uh, the blog post and the website is. Um, is uh, it, the, the blog post is written by Sean Carroll. Sean Carroll is an atheist physicist. Um, and you might remember him uh, as being one of William Lane Craig's debate opponents. They debated on the, uh, the origin of the universe. And the article that we're going to be responding to is called physics and the immortality of the soul. I'll leave a link to the article. In the show notes of this podcast episode, and uh, you can look at it yourself. Maybe if you want to, if you're not uh, up doing something while you're listening to this episode, you can uh, read along uh, as we uh, examine it and critique it. But first, um, Michael Jones, say hello to the listeners.
1: Hi, and thanks for having me on again.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you on. So, how have you been doing, Mike? How have you been um, faring with this new? delta variant of the coronavirus
1: oh i've been fine i got covid back in march of 2020 and uh then i think i got it again in december or january and i just had the antibodies i've had a couple tests so i've had no issues since then so i've been fine
0: wow that's good um yeah i've I've gotten vaccinated and i'm you know washing my hands and wearing a mask out and Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's kind of easy for me cuz I'm a germaphobe anyway I, I was i was well prepared for this pandemic the only thing i needed to do was just add the mask and get a vaccine but I'm pretty yeah, much right. pretty much everything else i mean i wash my hands compulsively anyway so that's not really not much of a life change besides wearing a piece of cloth when i go out that's about it mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's good then
0: so Let's get into it. Let's get into this this article by Sean Carroll. Um, it's called Physics and the Immortality of the Soul. Now, for those um, who may be wondering, uh, I am a conditionalist, and I believe that uh, the soul is not inherently immortal, but that doesn't really matter of, as far as this article is concerned because all this article says is that th- there really is... No soul that persists after death. the The whole idea is pretty much nonsense. What Sean Carroll says, and so whether you believe in conditional immortality or th- that everyone is um, immortal, it doesn't re- it doesn't really matter because that's not that's not what. We, don't let the the title fool you.
1: Yeah, you know, so, the, uh, the the whole article is just really sort of like it's really disappointing because he's just comes across as very much unfamiliar with the arguments for the immortality of the soul or the continuation after death. Uh, there's a lot of errors in this, a lot of just subtly subtle hints that he's not read a lot on this literature, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're looking at this because uh, one of the one of the people who uh, follows cerebral faith sent this article to me a while back, and. Um, And I thought, you know what? Rather than uh, do a video on it, or rather than you know write a whole article, I thought, hey, you know, I, we could we could uh, we could do it on the podcast. And so, let's get into it. I uh, what I will do is I will read part of the article, um, and then I will stop, and Michael will jump in and um, give his thoughts on what I just read. And uh, if he wants to, and if he wants to, he will. he will intervene and stop me if if he thinks uh he wants to uh respond Mm -hmm. before i continue sounds good okay physics and the immortality of the soul by sean carroll the topic of life after death raises disreputable connotations of past life regression and haunted houses but there are a large number of people in the world who believe in some form of persistence of the soul after life ends Clearly, this is an important question, one of the most important ones we can possibly think of in terms of relevance to human life. If science has something to say about it, we should all be interested in hearing. Adam Frank thinks that science has nothing to say about it. He advocates being firmly agnostic on the question. His co-blogger, Alva Noé, resolutely disagrees. I have enormous respect for Adam. He's a smart guy and a careful thinker. When we disagree, it's with the kind of respectful dialogue that should model that should be a model for disagreeing with non-crazy people. But here he couldn't be more wrong. Adam claims that simply that simply is no controlled experimentally verifiable information regarding life after death. By these standards, there is no controlled experimentally verifiable information regarding whether the moon is made of green cheese sure we can take spectra of light reflecting from the moon and even send astronauts up there and bring samples back for analysis but that's only scratching the surface as it were what if the moon is almost all green cheese but is covered with a thin layer of dust a few meters thick can you really say you know this isn't true until you have actually examined every single cubic centimeter of the moon's interior You don't really have experimentally verifiable information, do you? So maybe agnosticism on the green cheese issue is warranted.
1: Now, I kind of agree with his overall general framework here on methodology. Uh, Just because we don't have experimental proof, that doesn't mean something is wrong. But we can make inferences. We can know the moon is probably not made of green cheese based on what we know about cheese, what we know about the moon. Uh, There's no reason to suggest such a thing. So I agree with him on on this part, but he's just setting down general methodology here. Uh, but it really, what he's basically pointing out is it's based on what does the evidence imply? What can we what inference can we make from the evidence available to us? And as we find out later in the article, Carol's not really familiar with a lot of the evidence that's used to support uh, the uh, the uh, irreducible nature of the mind or the existence of a soul that's not dependent on the brain. So. You know, there's a lot of good stuff to start off with regards to methodology. I just wish he would apply that throughout the article and actually interact with some of the data, but he doesn't really interact with a lot of that. Okay. So he
0: goes on to write obviously, this is completely crazy. Our conviction that green cheese makes up a negligible fraction of the moon's interior comes not from direct observation. But from gross incompatibility of that idea with other things we think we know, given that we do understand, given what we do understand about rocks and planets and dairy products in the solar system, it's it's absurd to imagine the mood is made of green cheese. We know better. We also know better for life after death although people are much more reluctant to admit it. Admittedly, direct evidence one way or the other is hard to come by. All we have are a few legends and sketchy claims from unreliable
1: witnesses with near-death
0: experiences, plus see, a this bucket is,
1: of wishful thinking. See, this is this is just not true. And he's not read any of the literature on near-death experiences or has gone into it. There are plenty of reports of people who have had a near-death experience, and then they come back and they report things that they would have only known while they were pronounced dead, like incidents or things happening in the room, the procedures of, a, of resuscitating someone who's suffered a cardiac arrest. And these, a lot of these have been documented. Now, a lot of the replies are is to throw shade on a lot of these reports. Well, it's just testimony. How do we know it wasn't embellished or added to later or wasn't coerced? It's possible, but I mean, we could apply that standard for a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, testimony we hear uh just take any sort of like study uh where a scientist would have tested an antidepressant drug he could have coerced his patients or given or led them to say certain things that would support his conclusions we don't jump to that conclusion because there's no reason to we tend to apply the principle of charity in that sort of situation and likewise we have a numerous amount of reports of people who have reported a continuation of life after death that they've sort of continued on these are not just these sparse reports. Some people have changed their entire worldview from this. Some people have said there's the most meaningful experience of their life. A lot of people have, according to surveys, actually. So this idea that we don't have—we just have a few fables and unreliable reports—is absurd. Sure, it's just testimony, and testimony goes so far. But to characterize the evidence in that way is just not being fair with the data. What are
0: some of uh, what are a few of these uh, n- evidenced near-death experiment uh, experiences?
1: Well, I mean, there are, there have been some published. So like Michael Sabom, uh, published a bunch of, uh, he did a study where he looked at, um, people who survived a cardiac arrest and had a near death experience. And he asked them to tell them the procedures of the cardiac arrest and they reported it quite well. He did the same thing with another group who did not go through a near death experience and they could not report the actual procedures of cardiac arrest. Well, uh, so there's that for example, uh, there's also an inter- There's also near-death experiences. Like there's a paper by um, called near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences in the blind, and so people that were born blind had near-death experiences and they reported things they would only know if they were able to see. So that's by uh, uh, Sharon and uh, Sharon and Kenneth Kenneth Ring and Sharon Cooper. Uh, there, there's also an interesting one that I'm trying to remember here, uh, because there was um, this woman who was literally basically pronounced dead. Uh, She, what she did was is uh, they, they had to like drain all the blood out from back out of her skull to, uh, because she had to get like an aneurysm removed. So they drained all the blood out of her and she was literally would be the, she was, she fit the definition of dead, dead, like not like just partially dead. It's the case of Pam Reynolds. And so what they found is that she was able to report things uh, that were happening during that procedure because she was having this out of body experience and whatnot. Now, again, the response is to throw shade on that. But Chris Carter even writes a criticism paper called Respond to Could Pam Reynolds Here? And he debunks a lot of those myths or a lot of the shade that's been thrown in a lot of those reports. Now, even if a lot of these reports are unreliable, we still have a good amount of them. And it's it's odd that there are so many people that are reporting continuation after death uh, when they're supposed to not be experiencing anything and whatnot. So th- there's a good amount of r- reports. I-, I covered a bunch of them in my series on the Irreducible Mind. Uh, so if people want to check that out, it's up on my channel. I think it's part five.
0: Okay. Yeah, and not only uh, – near, evidence near-death experiences are fascinating. I, I attended a talk at um, the Evangelical Theological Society back in 2018 uh, in Denver, Colorado. And Gary Habermas, he, he did – his the paper he read at ETS was – all about the the, these and they were fascinating one example i I can recall um was this woman she not only described everything that was happening in the hospital room uh, but things that were going on downstairs and there there was another where she she was describing something that was happening like two miles
1: away Uh, yeah the the response is that like this was sort of like told to her after and then she sort of like imposed it on her experience while she was pronounced dead. Uh, so that, that's a lot of the reply. And yeah that's entirely possible. But that is the reply for all of these experiences. And it gets to the point now where it just seems like skeptics are just sort of dismissing anything that doesn't fit their worldview. If, oh, we have like one or two of these, I think they'd have a good point, but we have so many of these experiences and so many people reporting continuation of life after death that it just seems odd to dismiss them all as nonsense especially when they're able to report those kind of things. And if you just want to doubt the testimony because it doesn't fit your worldview, you, by all means, but I don't think you're really being fair with the evidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, when you have when you have like case after case after case, you've got like 20, 30, 40, 50 of these and they're not just they're not just like, "Oh, I went to heaven and I saw grandma and Jesus," but they're they are fact they are fact checked, they are supported by doctors and nurses and family members and, and and things of that sort and you have a whole bunch of these corroborated testimonies it, it just kind of stretches credulity to, to say that they're all just you know in on mm-hmm. it really at that point it really smacks of conspiracy theories it, it starts to it starts to sound like uh, the people who say NASA faked the moon landing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in, you know th- th- this has been. A, they've also compared these near-death experiences to people who have been had hallucinations or have been like on a, like a, a drug high, and I, I document this in my video as well. But the people who've had near-death experiences say they're completely different. Uh, they don't have the same effects on the people. Uh, so they report that the near-death experience was life-changing. No one's going to report that with like a hallucination, for example. Uh, so they, they like Dr. Penny Sartori has calculated a lot of this stuff sort of in, and she would say things like, well, a lot of the patients who report near-death experiences, they don't report them like they would be giving, like like they was on a drug high. A lot of them who had near-death experiences weren't even administered drugs, and she documents this in some of her work. So there's a lot more here than this sort of, than the way Carol's sort of categorizing or characterizing these experiences. It's, it's a little bit more, there's a lot more there, and it just at least be a little more familiar with the data if you're going to dismiss it like that.
0: Yeah. And I would also tell our audience that there are philosophical arguments for the existence of the soul as well. Um, There's one that, that uh, I heard JP Moreland give. um, I, I have dubbed it the identity argument for the soul. And it basically says, here are some properties of the mind and that, that the mind does not share with the brain uh, therefore, they can't be one of the same thing. And there's also Tim Stratton's evolutionary, uh, no, uh, free thinking argument against naturalism uh, in which it it establishes both libertarian free will and dualism. It's a seven step argument. And I had Tim Stratton here on the podcast to talk about that argument back in episode 23. So if you want to go check that out later, uh, go Feel free to do so. So I'm going to continue reading from the article. Uh, Sean Carroll writes, But surely it's okay to take account of indirect evidence, namely compatibility of the idea that some form of our individual soul survives death uh, with other things we know about how the world works. Claims that some form of consciousness persists after our bodies die and decay into their constituents' atoms face one huge insuperable obstacle, the laws of physics underlying everyday life are completely understood, and there's no way within those laws to allow for the information stored in our brains to persist after we die. If you Okay, claim i got to no stop form, you there.
1: Uh, the, the laws of physics are not completely understood. Uh, there's still a lot of questions out there. We don't have a theory of everything. We don't know how to rectify quantum mechanics with general relativity. This is a big issue. Uh, there's a lot of uh, questions about what will be even in the final theory if everything's going to survive. Uh, and the, it, it, with regards to the second part that like, he's just assuming physicalism, the idea that we're just our brains, that everything we are is just sort of made up these atoms in our brain. And that's all that we are. And dualist and, and idealist like myself, because I'm an idealist would say that's not what we are. Uh, the dualist would say that the brain is not what you are. it's just sort of, sort of like an interaction connection there between the mind and the brain. And the idealist like myself would say that the, uh, The brain is just sort of like this avatar the image of the mind in a physical world it's it's not what the actual mind is so there's a lot of issues here Uh, and the idea that you know we're going to we totally understand physics and there's no room for a soul is absurd because we're not saying that the soul is part of the physical world even as myself as an idealist i would say that physics is sort of like this emergent representation of the mind it's not just them on. It's not, it's that's not, not all it is. And dualists would not even say that either.
0: Yeah. I would, <laughs> That struck me as really odd. I was like, the, the law, the, the physics of our universe underlying everyday life are completely understood. I'm like, well, wh- why aren't the physics departments closing up shop? There's nothing else for them to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, that, that's just not true at all. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff being worked out and it's really starting to bleed a lot into philosophy in a lot of ways, especially some of the stuff I'm reading. And we still don't know the how how the brain works. I mean, there's a lot of research into something called quantum cognition, which is they're modeling cognitive processes in terms of quantum mechanics, the formulism of quantum mechanics. So the, the mind itself seems to be acting more, behaving more in a quantum way. And there's a lot of research still coming out of that that's being unfolded and whatnot. So there's a lot we're still uncovering in the how it intersects with our like concepts we get from physics and whatnot.
0: Cool. Yeah. So Carol goes on to write, if you claim that some form of soul persists beyond death, what particles is that soul made of? What forces are holding it together? How does it interact with ordinary matter? Now, that is a really odd question
1: to ask of the immaterial soul. What do you think? (laughs) Well, yeah, again, he's assuming physicalism, this idea that we're somehow reducible to particles, and that's just – not what idealists or substance dualists claim. Uh, not whatsoever. I mean I would question I would ask him what are even particles? I just did a video recently where I, I pointed out in quantum field theory there's no evidence particles with these little bits of of substances or matter. They basically reduced information. And there's a lot of data supporting this. Uh, so physics itself tends to show the material doesn't reduce to anything material at the basis. So why would we even want to reduce uh, our souls or the mind to just particles, because it would still reduce the information, at, ultimately. So that doesn't really help him at all. And again, he's just assuming a physicalist or materialistic outlook, and then using that to debunk arguments for the soul or mind. Well, that's absurd. You, you, you can't assume your worldview, your metaphysical worldview, to attack a different metaphysical worldview.
0: Right. Carol goes on to write, Everything we know about quantum field theory, QFT, says that there aren't any sensible answers to these questions. Of course, everything we know about quantum field theory could be wrong. Also, the moon could be made of green cheese. Among advocates for life after death, nobody even tries to sit down and do the hard work of explaining how the basic physics of atoms and electrons would have to be altered in order for this to be true. If we tried, the fundamental absurdity of the task would quickly become evident.
1: Yeah, this is, again, it's really weird. He's assuming like physicalism, and he's not dealing with the actual issues in quantum field theory. All right, quantum field theory, so for example, there's a book called Particles, Fields, and Forces, a conceptual guide to quantum field theory. Uh, written by um, Walter Schmitz. He says, particles are actually waves in different types of fields. This goes for all the particles that we're made of. We are just made of waves in a field. The vacuum is not something empty, a big nothingness, but contains fields that are waving all the time. What looks to us as a billiard ball on a billiard table is actually a bunch of waves moving from the queue to the pocket. So he flat out says, and I have other physicists in my recent video pointing this out, particles are not these little bits of matter that we often assume. Carroll seems to be assuming that. They, they tend to be mathematical waves of information. There's a good paper by David John, or, uh, John, David John Baker called Against Field Interpretations of Quantum Field Theory where he points out basically that wave functions, or sorry, waves in quantum field theory reduce to just basically information. Uh, they don't really, you can't really get these individual bits. It just reduces all this sort of mathematical information. So Minard Kuhlman says, physics lacks coherent account of fundamental issues. Such as the definition of objects. Every, you know, you make there, there's just no evidence of physics that we're dealing with actual concrete bits of matter at the fundamental level, and so Carroll just seems to be assuming that. But I mean, physicists and philosophers of physics like Minor Kuhlman point out that's just absurd. That's not what we actually have here. Uh, we're dealing with information, and we're trying to understand what this is. Is there's what's the underlying substance beneath this information? Uh, but so physics. So Carroll's appeal to quantum field theory doesn't really help his case. When you study quantum field theory, it actually damages his case overall because the physical is just reducing the information. It's not reducing to these individual bits of matter. So I'm confused about why he would use that. And then once, once again, we're not substance dualists and idealists are not saying the soul would be made of particles. It would not be made of things of the material. Uh, we, we have different views on this, but like an idealist like myself would say the material is something emergent. From the underlying substance, namely mind, it's not something that would build mind. So he's got it backwards when it comes to idealism. And a substance dualist would say that this is this is an entirely different substance that you cannot just study using science because it's not part of the physical universe.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you, tell our audience what you mean by information?
1: So, infor- oh, so information would essentially be abs- uh, abstract mathematical equations. So. Maybe I could just quote Minard Kuhlman here, because he's got a pretty good quote on this. Um, Quantum field theory instead assigns abstract mathematical entities, ma- abstract mathematical entities, okay, which represent the type of measurements you could conduct rather than the result you would obtain. Some mathematical construction theory do represent physical values, but these cannot be assigned to points in space-time. So we're talking about abstract mathematical entities. Uh, they're basically equations. So you can describe an electron entirely by its mathematical formula. That's all it would reduce to, though, is this mathematical information, according to philosophers of science like Susan Schneider, Minor Kuhlman, and even uh, physicist David John Baker, who's also a philosopher, I believe. Uh, So the physicist Eliana Peza says a particle is nothing but an effective field description of a complicated dynamics coupling the environment and its fields. So it's a construct. And he says, for the philosophers, the problem now becomes what are these constructs? He refers to them as auxiliary constructs, so you've got to think of it as mathematical information. Um, you could describe it in terms of like its length, its depth, I guess you could say this, I'm just using very um, simplistic terms to try to help here, uh, but you're not actually describing an actual bit of matter there, an actual concrete substance, you're just describing the mathematics of how uh, an electron operates, but if you remove all that mathematical information, there's nothing there left to describe the object, so it just reduces to math, essentially.
0: Okay. Um Carol goes on to say even if you don't believe that human beings are simply collections of at hold on did I did I skip over anything? No, I didn't. I okay. okay, even even if you don't believe that human beings are simply collections of atoms evolving and interacting according to rules laid down in the standard model, uh, model of particle physics, most people would grudgingly admit
1: that atoms are part of who we are.
0: It's really okay, No.
1: No, we no, okay, that that's a very A subtle implication that maybe like, you know, atoms are a part of who we are. First of all, once again, atoms reduced information. Okay, so he's trying to, once again, assuming this old, this this 100-year-old interpretation of of physics, where these little individual bits of matter floating around, which we've moved past. Again, David Johns Baker paper on against field interpretations of quantum field theory shows that. We're not really even talking about these individual bits of matter anymore. In fact, I had people criticize me once because I was doing videos pointing this stuff out and they were complaining. They'd be like, "Ah, no one accepts this view of particles anymore. We've moved past it. Why is IP even criticizing this view? Well, because you're Sean Carroll using it. I mean, people still use it today and he's a physicist. So I love when my skeptics accuse me of attacking something that's been dead for 100 years. And I'm like, well, because people are still using it. I'm sorry that, you know, I'm I'm not dealing with your specific view here, but I'm dealing with other views that are still alive and shouldn't be. So, Yeah. My critics, the recent, you know, I recently debated one of those critics. So people have any questions about that? But yeah, that's this is a perfect example that would just show that once again that that attack is absurd. Because here's Carol using this odd view of particle physics. So, so we wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm atoms are a part of what I am. I would say information is a part of what I am. Uh, I mean, my soul is my hopes, my dreams, my thoughts, my desires. That's all information. Uh, how I describe myself as information, I could say information is a part of who I am. Uh, so that's something to be more fundamental than atoms, especially for an idealist. Now, a substance dualist could say that, you know, yeah, atoms are a part of who I am, but that doesn't mean that part of me continues on after death. No one's saying that it's the particles that have to continue on after death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the way I would have phrased it is, yeah, uh, atoms are, you know, they make up my physical body, but that's not, you know, the soul is not composed of, of atoms. Um, he goes on to say, uh, if it's really nothing but atoms and the known forces, there's clearly no way for the soul to survive death. Believing in life after death, to put it mildly, requires physics beyond the standard model. Most importantly, we need some way for that new physics to interact with, with the atoms that we do have.
1: Yes, yeah, so this is continue, a... Or- well, he's bringing up something called the interaction problem, which is really an objection against substance dualism. It goes back to Spinoza, for example. It's the idea that if there is this immaterial substance called mind, how's does he interact with the physical? Well, they got to share a property. Now, if they share a property, then they're really not two different substances, but just different aspects of one substance. So a lot of physicalists will use this argument and they'll go like, okay, well, here, here's evidence that we know the physical exists. Why are we positing a, a secondary substance, uh, namely we would call mind or the soul, to interact with this substance? If it was, it would have to be physical in some way. Now, an idealist like myself would say, well, yeah, I don't, I don't have to worry about the interaction problem because I would say that the physical just reduces to information uh, that's contingent upon mind uh, through quantum field theory, through um, uh, using David Hume's bundle theory and whatnot. So that's not a problem for someone like me. But for the substance dualist, you could say that maybe it's a problem and it's an objection they need to address. But I mean, neuro neuroscientist John Eccles did address this. Now, he's a substance dualist and he's a neuroscientist. And he, he points out you don't need to posit that an interaction in the way you traditionally think, like this transfer of energy. So you would have to think like there is this immaterial substance called the soul. It's interacting with the physical brain and it's transferring energy to make changes. You know, like... You're a soul if substance dualism is true. And then you like send energy to your brain to cause your arm to move up. You send energy to your brain to cause your arm to move down. And the physicalists would say, well, that's unnecessary. We have no evidence of this energy coming in. Uh, Fair enough. But if you just read John Eccles, how the self controls its brain, he addressed this issue. He cites a physicist named Henry Margenau who says some fields such as the probability field of quantum mechanics carry neither energy nor matter. And so what Marginal and Eccles are arguing is that the way the soul on substance dualism would change the brain is just by simply changing probability fields in the brain, just by affecting probability outcomes or whatnot. Now, you don't have to transfer energy. The, mi- the mind would not need to call upon energy to be furnished because it's just in the brain, and all you're doing is changing probability outputs and whatnot uh, that would uh, affect that. So you don't have to posit this sort of immaterial soul interacting through, like, substance or whatnot. It can a- interact via information transfer, namely that of changing probabilities in physical space-time. Now, that, that's that, that's a plausible explanation. It doesn't for a substance dualist. And for an idealist like myself, this isn't even an issue.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check his book out.
1: Well, I mean, um, I cited him a video on Irreducible Mind Part 4. So if you want the cliff notes, the video is like, 23 minutes long and i go through and i explain quantum mind theory and at the end i explain i bring up the objection and explain how Eccles deals with this again it's not so much this idea that the soul has to transfer actual energy like actual particles to the brain to make a change all the energy is already there within the body the uh the soul would just sort of be like this secondary substance that's just sort of affecting uh the probability of the brain so you're thinking like quantum mechanics you have you have a, um, basically, before a measurement occurs, you have the wave function, which is the probability of where the particle could end up or the momentum it could have. If you can affect, if you, if our, if our minds are acting sort of like a quantum field, you could just sort of affect the probability to determine just sort of a slight outcome and whatnot. Now, nothing in that transfers energy. You're just changing a probability field, so there's no issue there. Okay. Uh, I will leave a
0: link to in the show notes to your uh, to your video series, where people can check it out for more information. Sean Carroll goes on to write: um, "Very roughly speaking, when most people think about an immaterial soul that persists after death, they have in mind some sort of blob of spirit energy." Uh, that makes me think about the the bleach anime spirit energy. <laughs> that takes up residence near our brain and drives around our body like a soccer mom driving an SUV. The questions are these. What form does that spirit energy take and how does it interact with our ordinary atoms? Not only is new physics required, but drastic dramatically new physics. Within QFT, there can't be a new collection of spirit particles and spirit forces that interact with our regular atoms. Because we would have detected them in existing experiments, Occam's razor is not on your side here, since you have to posit a completely new realm of reality obeying very different rules than the ones we so, know.
1: So the problem, once again, is that ironically, you don't have to invent new physics. Because Marginal used the, con- the Henry Marginal used the physics we know to just dis- to, to say the mind would manifest in a way that would mimic a quantum field, and it just changes probability fields in the brain. You don't have to posit anything. Uh, beyond that, actually. So you don't have to posit new physics necessarily. Now, perhaps in the other realm where the, the soul is, according to substance dualism, you would there would be all sorts of new physics. But that would, that would be inaccessible to us now anyway. So, I mean, no substance dualist says we have to posit uh, physics for that right now. Uh, the other problem he has with Occam is he's invoking Occam's razor, he's ignoring all of the problems we have with physicalism like the hard problem of consciousness. Uh there, there is nothing in consciousness, in subjective experience, that would suggest it's emergent from not non-subject or from non-subjective matter. Uh there, there's nothing about your inner experience that suggests it could just emerge from particles in the brain. Uh, it's completely it's a completely different quality. Uh, in first person experience is nothing like the chemicals or reactions happening in your brain. And the philosopher of mind, Bernardo has talked a lot about this in his work. Uh, and so is David Chalmers, who calls himself a naturalist. Consciousness just cannot reduce to the brain in that sense. They're qualitatively different on so many levels. And that's the case. You could just invoke Occam's razor there, that the heart problem is such a drastic problem to overcome that positing that this sort of emergence happens is on par with a miracle. So. The critique of physicalism has always been that they're against miracles, but to have consciousness emerging from the brain would be a miracle in and of itself. And it's, it's, this is why it's called the heart problem of consciousness. So you basically have brain processes, then a miracle happens. Somehow consciousness emerges on physicalism. And that goes against all our intuitive understanding of consciousness. It doesn't seem to be reducible to physical processes. It doesn't seem to be, you could take your consciousness and divide it into parts Our intuitive understanding of consciousness doesn't even support physicalism. So that's something they have to overcome. Uh, Occam's razor, I would say, shaves off physicalism because it posits such drastic, miraculous changes, things that go far against our intuition, no evidence whatsoever the brain is not able to create consciousness. And even neuroscientists like Jeffrey Schwartz or or Christoph Koch admit this. There's just no evidence of this. And so this is why Christoph Koch, for example, is looking for a Alternative, like panpsychism, for example.
0: Um, Carol says, uh, but let's say you do that, um, and that is um, introduce new physics. Uh, how is the spirit energy supposed to interact with us? Here is the equation that tells us how electrons behave in the everyday world. I'm not even going to pretend to know what all of those symbols stand for.
1: <laughs> he, yeah. says,
0: don't he says, don't worry about the details. It's the fact that the equation exists that matters. Not its particular form. It's the Dirac equation. The two Dirac. terms, on Dirac. The two terms on the left are roughly the velocity of the electron and its inertia, coupled to electromagnetism and gravity. The two terms on the right.
1: Yeah. So once again, it just shows how unfamiliar Carroll was with any of the literature on this. I mean, he's not read books like the Blackwell's Companion of Substance Dualism, The Waning of Materialism, the work by Bernardo Kastrup or Keith Ward on Idealism, Donald Hoffman's work. He's not read John Eccles' work, Jeffrey Schwartz, anything by Christoph Koch. I mean, all of, there's so much literature on this. It's just, it's just phenomenal that he's not even – he's pretending like it just doesn't exist or he just doesn't know it exists. But, yeah, you don't have to posit, as I've been explaining, Eccles and Margano have already dealt with this new physics idea and how it would interact. I mean, so Carroll should just be more familiar with the literature. If he's going to criticize this view.
0: Yeah. As far – As far as every experiment ever done is concerned, this equation is the correct description of how electrons behave at everyday energies. It's not a complete description. We haven't included the weak nuclear force or couplings to hypothetical particles like the Higgs boson. But that's okay, since those are only important at high energies and or short distances, very far from the regime of relevance to the human brain. If you believe in an immaterial soul that interacts with our bodies, you need to believe that this equation is not right, even at everyday energies. There needs to be a new term, at minimum, on the right, representing how the soul interacts with electrons. If that term doesn't exist, electrons will just go on their way as if there weren't any soul at all, and then what's the point? So any respectable scientist who took this idea seriously would be asking, "What form does that interaction take? Is it local in space-time? Does the soul respect uh, gauge invariance and Lorentz invariance? Does the soul have a Hamiltonian? Do the interactions preserve unitarity and c- conservation of information?"
1: I mean, once again, I mean, Margaret mm-hmm. Allen Eccles basically give you the math for this in, in his work. So I mean, <laughs> this has already been presented.
0: He says, nobody ever asks these questions out loud, possibly because of how silly they sound. Once you start asking them, the choice you are faced with becomes clear. Either either overthrow everything we think we have learned about modern physics or distrust the stew of religious accounts slash unreliable testimony slash wishful thinking that makes people believe in the possibility of life after death. It's not a difficult decision as scientific theory choice goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, once again, you can see some of the equations in Eccles' books. It's, it's not like this has not been addressed and whatnot. You've you got the scientific diagram showing uh, synapses happening and where the interaction would happen and how it would interact in the equations to show this. So, once again, you got to just be familiar with the data on this. The, the idea that substance dualists have not dealt with this is absurd. And this would not, And it doesn't even seem like Eccles is familiar, or I'm sorry, it doesn't even seem like Carroll is familiar that there are other views out there. Like there's panpsychism. You could be an idealist. If you're an idealist like myself, you don't have to worry even about this interaction problem because the physical space-time just reduces to mathematical information that would be contingent upon mind. Uh, You could sort of think of it like uh, the physical world is analogous to a virtual world that is just contingent on a computer, which is analogous to the mind. So there's no interaction actually happening there because it's all the same substance. So... Should I, uh, should I read the last two um,
0: paragraphs here? It seems, it seems rather repetition. I think we've pretty much.
1: Yeah. There's not really much there at this point. It's just, it's just, it's an article that should never have been written. Honestly, he can have this opinion on it. I mean, he can write it all. Obviously I'm not going to say that he should be banned or anything like that, but it just shows a level of ignorance. I did. I don't think Carol wants to show people it's, no substance dualist who's familiar with the literature on philosophy of mind, no idealist familiar with the literature on philosophy of mind, no panpsychist is going to look at this and go, oh, wow, he's really refuted this. I mean, <laughs> this is just going to come across as like someone who needs to read more on this, on this, on this research.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he, he definitely is not uh, familiar with the arguments and the evidence. And the the last two paragraphs, it it, it it basically just gets repetitious, and I don't I don't see any reason to read the rest of it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, but he also yeah. says I forget well, at one point. He said like you know no one talks about this in public, and I'm like really there's entire books published on this dude. Like everyone's <laughs> talking about this.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a whole host of, of literature about it. Well, thank you, Michael Jones, for coming on the Cerebral Faith podcast. It was uh, it was great to have you on the show again.
1: Oh yeah, always happy to do it.
0: Um, by the way, uh, if you want to see uh, Jones's series on the uh, the evidence for the soul, the case for um, the case for idealism, and uh, the the quantum mind, uh, I will leave a link to the um, to that video series in the show notes. And I'll also leave uh, a link so you don't have to go looking for it to that episode I uh, had with Tim Stratton, where he talked about the, the free thinking argument against naturalism, in which he, he, argue, he argues philosophically for the existence of the soul. Um, I
1: also, um, in, in this, I also reference a video I recently did. The video is Mind or Matter, which is fundamental. And that's the video where I talk about what quantum field theory shows us about the existence of particles.
0: Yeah. Um, Let me give a shout out to my patrons, Amy and Adam Garman, uh, Zach Miller, Slam RN, Andrew Milnick, Michelle Minton, Christopher Rogers, Nathan Hamilton, Jordan Hampton, Brandon Whitaker, and David Parrish. And if you would like to support Cerebral Faith financially, go to patreon.com slash cerebral faith. Thank you for listening. Peace out. God bless. I will see you next time. And keep using the brains that God gave you. we